like it, but I like it. And uh, I believe the waistcoat should be brought back into circulation, so I put one of those on as well. And I put some jeans that I can get into on. So I made a choice this morning, and this is, this is my choice. And what you did is your choice. And you all look wonderful. Um, <laughs> But the, but the point that Paul is making here is that actually he says we should put on love. It's actually like putting on clothing. In other words, it, we are making a choice to put on love, which is the bond um, of perfection. So when the New Testament was, was written, there were primarily four Greek words that depicted love. And they all have different meanings and clearly different contexts. And this, I think, is where we get a little bit of confusion around um, the word love. And there's one of the four words is what I'm going to focus on this morning. So the first word for love that was around 2,000 years ago, by the way, not found in Scripture, was eros. So eros love. So I've got some little little um, overheads here. I'm a visual person, so these are little aids. That's a little bit too close, isn't it, for a Sunday morning, I feel. Um, some of you like that. Um, <laughs> eros, love. So, so really that's uh, where we get the word erotic from. It actually comes from the Greek word um, ereo. Interestingly, the root word um, actually means to ask, to beg, or to demand. And that's interesting because what that tells me about eros love is that it is not a giving love. It's actually a love that you're kind of in for yourself to some degree, and, and eros love, the really the, the, the start or the trigger, um, is attraction. So that's eros love. Then the next love is uh, sturgeo love, which is generally, um, yeah, it, it's kind of uh, like a, a family love, so how, how a mother loves a child, and, and so really that's all about devotion. And then the next one is phileo, which you would say is more like brotherly love. So this is French. It's that, that is a kind of a bit of a naff slide, I'm sorry. Um, I actually wanted to get a different slide, but it would have looked different to the other things. You get the point. You know, it's, it's two mates hanging out. And, and the thing with filio love, with friendship, it's often based on kind of mutual benefit and mutual satisfaction. And so, so often with friendships, if, if what you're getting from the friendship ceases, you know, like I'm not actually getting much out of this friendship anymore, sometimes you kind of walk away from that, can't you? And so that's phileo love. And then we have the fourth word for love, which is the highest form of love, you know, the most excellent form of love, which is agape love. And it's this word that is used in the New Testament chiefly to really describe God's love, agape love. It's a, a, the highest most excellent form of love. It's, it's like when, if, if, if I am um, the beholder of that love, my subject is just, there's something about my subject that is so incredible, so amazing that my heart is moved to action. In fact, it's like an irresistible love. So I would do anything for, uh, for the thing that I am um, beholding. And so, so it, it's interesting. So agape love is not based on feeling. So eros love is based on feeling, based on attraction. Agape love is not based on feeling. Agape love is actually a decision to love, and it keeps on loving. So, so my message title this morning is Love is a Choice. So I really want to talk about how we put on love, and love is a choice. The writer of the, um, the book, The Five Love Languages, which is brilliant wisdom, People make the mistake of thinking they only need to read that once they're married. Read it as a single, because you can discover your own love language. If you're married and you've not read it, read it, because there's great wisdom there. But the, the author of that book is a guy called Gary Chapman, and he says this, love is a choice that you make every day. 
Love is a choice you make every day. Now, the best example of agape love that you will find in the New Testament is recorded in John 3, 16, talking about God's incredible love for us. And, of course, this is probably for most of you this morning. Certainly for me, this was the first memory verse that I ever learned. For God so loved the world. Now, if you are familiar with this verse, the same with all Scripture, really. If you're familiar with the verse, sometimes it can flash up and it's like, yeah, we know that. But I want us this morning to just really grasp this scripture afresh again and to, to really give us an understanding of the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. Because it says here, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And what you'll notice, of course, is the connection between love and giving. The more you love, the more you give. So when God looked at you, and when he looked at me, and when he looked at broken humanity, he was so moved by what he saw, he was so in love by what he saw, that he couldn't help. It's like this irresistible love, he couldn't help but give. Why? Because he wanted to restore a relationship between himself and man, so he gave his only son. And I remember when I first heard that scripture preached back in 1983, I heard that scripture unpacked, I, I was amazed by it. I absolutely moved by it. And so God's love for you this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I wonder if God really loves me. I want you to get this scripture into your, into your soul, into your spirit, and into your gut that God loves you that much that he sent his only son to die the most horrendous death. That is, that, that is agape love, absolutely, uh, there. It's without boundary. It's without limit. It's without condition. The thing about this type of love, this agape love, is it is not a theory or a concept. Agape love moves to action, right? So, so Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And again, you may be familiar with them. This, this is Paul starting off the chapter that we call the love chapter. Um, if you've ever been to a wedding, you would generally have heard the love chapter quoted. Actually, I remember... Um, reading this when I was 15 years old at my cousin's wedding. He asked me to do a reading, and I'd never done a public reading before. And he gave me this scripture verse, and I think he actually wrote it out for me. And I remember looking at it, reading it, thinking, my gosh, I'm going to need to really rehearse this to get, it, to get it right. So I wasn't really in faith at the time. I believed in God. And, and, but this scripture really spoke to me, just the power of God's love. And, and so, but at the beginning in verse 1, Paul says this, if I could see, it won't come up um, behind me actually, but it says, I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but if I don't have love, I am like a noisy gong or a clanging bell. In other words, I could be a real smart aleck, I can be really clever, and I can talk a really good game, but if I'm not backing it up with action, then I'm just annoying. How many of you are bothered or have been bothered by an annoying noise? Maybe it's a neighbor with music on. It's just dish, dish, dish. That's annoying, isn't it? I've got a noise in my car at the moment, which is really irritating. Thankfully, it's not the engine. It's just something, it's, it's something on the passenger side. So it's all Anne-Marie's fault, clearly. There's a noise. It's just a little noise, and it really bugs me. It's so irritating, and so, so I, I just put music on so that I don't hear it. You know, it's really irritating, and, and then sometimes we're talking, I can say to her, can you hear that noise? And she says, no, I can't, which is amazing, because she's actually got really good hearing. 
um, but I can hear it, and it's irritating. And what Paul is saying is, you, you know, if you if you just talk a good game, but it is not backed up by action, you're just annoying. And then he goes on, and Paul unpacks what love actually is. Now, so I'm going to do my best to read the scripture as well as I did when I was 15, because I did it quite well then. Um, it's going to come up behind me. And this is what Paul describes as the highest form of love. This is the kind of love that God has, okay? And it's this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 16 characteristics about love, eight of which say what love is, eight of which say what love isn't. And again, being a bit of a visual person, I like to um, put some color to this. So let's look at what love is. So if you go to the next slide. So we've got what love is in green here. So love is patient and love is kind. Next slide, please. Love rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Never fails. This is true love. This is God's agape love. This is what love isn't, which you'll see in red. Doesn't envy. Not boastful. Not proud. Doesn't dishonor others not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, doesn't delight in evil. Let's look at the next slide as well. Again, I find this helpful. So, you know, th th this is what love is on the left-hand side. This is what love is not on the right-hand side. And really, I think that when we look at these scriptures and we, we, we look at this, I believe that as, as believers, we, we're to look at this um, passage of Scripture, and if we're honest, just do an evaluation and say, so this is, if you like, this is the standard, this is, this is the love of God, which actually we are to be outworking, and we should see it manifest in our lives. You know, is my life a reflection of that? I just want to pose that little question this morning, is our, are our lives a reflection of that. Now, I understand that we're human. We are all on a journey. And you might look at that and you might think, well, now this is me. I look at this and I think, I'm actually not doing that great in the patient states. Now, we're human and we're on a journey. So you might, you might be aligned with me there. You think, yeah, patience, little bit of a little bit of a thing. Not, not, not great with patience. Now, here's the thing. You can feel convicted and that's great, but don't feel condemned. Now, there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. The enemy condemns, the Holy Spirit convicts. So I pray this morning as we look at this stuff that you're convicted and to say, okay, I need a little bit more um, love in my life so that I can exercise patience. Let's look at the next slide. So this kind of puts it in even more simple terms. This is agape love, i.e. God's love on the left, society, if you like, human love on the right. You can see the difference, can't you? Often with human relationships, and again, society has kind of watered things down that love is conditional. Love can be unforgiving. Love can be taking and self-benefiting and temporary, whereas the love of God is all of those things that are completely opposite. And I believe that 
as individuals, but as the church, as we outwork this love, as people just see it in operation, that's where we make a difference. You know, in our, in our homes, in our families, in our schools, in our colleges, in our places of work. So, so yeah, um, we, we, we need to have a look at that. I, I think that every one of these um, elements that I've described this morning, you could actually spend a message talking on each one of those 16 characteristics. Now, um, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through each one, but there are two that um, I just want to touch on. So I was praying last night and this morning, and I just thought there's two that I want to share a little br- um, briefly before I move on. So just, just that whole thing, love is patient. Now, again, I often make myself a little bit vulnerable when I share, but I, I s- tend to think that if God's speaking to me, he's probably speaking to you as well. And I find when I look at this, love is patient, already I have to pause there, and I think, oh, my gosh, love is patient. How am I doing with that right now? And so if you're struggling with that, let me just give you a little bit of warning. Often what people will do is say, well, I need more patience. I'm going to pray. God, give me patience. Anyone prayed that prayer? God, give me patience. Pause, but just not now. Um, but you, you pray that prayer. It's probably not a great prayer to pray. I, actually, the prayer I've been praying is, Lord, I, I, I need more of your Holy Spirit capacity in my life just so that I can deal better with the challenges and the irritations that come daily. That's not a bad prayer to pray. Now, here's the thing. God's really faithful. Have you noticed that God answers prayer? He really answers that one. Even on the drive on the way up here this morning, I'd done this message in church, seat, left. I mean, normally it would take 15, 20 minutes to get to Richmond. You want to be in time. You want to, you know, enjoy a little bit of praise and worship before you speak. But I'd forgotten there was a rugby match on. So 45 minutes later, I just about get here in the nick of time. That was a great exercise in patience. I actually did okay. And Marie was very surprised. She said, you're very calm, considering. <laughs> she was right. I was. Um, <laughs> patience. Often translated as long-suffering. Now, those two words put together, like suffering is bad enough, isn't it? But put long in front of it, that's really unattractive. Short suffering is not very good. But when you say long suffering, but, but, but a lot of uh, translations would say love is long suffering. Or another way of putting it is the patient restraint of anger or forbearance. Um, one commentator says this, love patiently and passionately bears with others for as long as patience is needed. I like that. I, I do like that. I think that's really good. So we have to put on love so that we can do that. We put on love so that we can exercise forbearance. So that's the first thing I just want to leave with you in terms of those 16 characteristics. The other one that just really struck me as I was thinking about this yesterday was how love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, what you need to understand is that he's writing a letter to the Corinthian church, and one of the things he's actually rebuking them for is the fact that some of their members are actually in such a disagreement that they're taking each other to court. You know, lawsuits. And what Paul is saying is, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not good. Um, you know, and, and I think we, we can look at that today, and I, I hope that's not going on here. No one's taking anyone to court here. Um, but, but, you know, wh- wh- what he's saying is that, look, don't keep a record of wrongs. And actually, Jesus is our supreme example of that because 
as he was dying on a cross, nailed to a tree, and people were shouting accusations. They were mocking him. What's his response? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are saying. It's like Jesus is not actually saying, yeah, God, actually, he's, he, he's, he's, he's totally forgiving them. It's an incredible response. And every time I read that scripture and think of it, I just think, well, I, I am truly awestruck by the response of Jesus. So the Bible says, don't keep a record of wrongs. Now, I believe that often the reason we may keep a record of wrongs is for one of two reasons. Number one, we haven't actually forgiven an offense. And number two, um, and and this could be linked, um, we may be being a little bit defensive. So let me give you an example, just in a marriage situation. I'm not, I'm going to give a hypothetical example here. Anne-Marie may confront me about a particular character issue or something that I have or haven't done. And I could probably list a whole number of things, actually, if, if I'm honest. Um, a number of instructions that I get given. So, so I'll, I will actually, I've just thought of one, I'll give you one. So, so we've, just, we've just had a new shower put into our main bathroom and it's got, it's got, because our bathroom's silly shape, it's kind of a P shape. And so we've got this concave shower perspex shower thing which is actually very nice and it's yeah it's very good and so we've got a we we have got a, one of these squeegee things you know so to to do that and we have a squeegee thing and we have a cloth and so my instruction is make sure after your shower you have not only squeegeed it down but you've done the thing with the cloth as well and of course uh, now I think I've done quite well but I did miss a day which I think was Friday and of course it got noticed I think there's a webcam installed there. I don't know. But anyway, she noticed it. And she w- and, and, and asked the question, did you squeegee the thing down? Knowing the answer was no. And I'd say, so, so my, my initial response was, well, I've done it most days. <laughs> Being confronted with something like that in the past, I might have, I might have just kind of leapt to my own defense and said something along the lines of, Yes, but what about when you did something? Often we can leap to our own defense, can't we? Because and, and, and we and we kind of drag something up from the past. The Bible says we're not to do that, because that's not exercising agape love. It's not. And I- interestingly, that root scripture that I've given you, the key scripture for today, is about putting on love. Um, which is Colossians 3, um, 14. If we look at the preceding verse, it's really interesting how what Paul does is he links forgiveness and love together, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. And then he says, but above all these things, you must put on love. So it's interesting how Paul, he, 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 he ties forgiveness um, and love together. Now, you need to understand that what Paul is not saying here and what Scripture is not saying is it is perfectly okay for you to be used, abused, dishonored without actually addressing that, okay? So that's not what the Scripture is saying. But what the Scripture is saying is that we need to come to a place where we can forgive. And I believe if you get to a place where you have forgiven, then you're not going to be dredging up all the sins from your loved ones or anyone else's past, yeah, so that's that's what we do. That's a godly thing to do. Now, here's the thing: Jesus, um, 
Jesus was no doormat, okay? So Jesus, if, if, if people were being, you know, their behavior was wrong or whatever, he'd call it out. So when Jesus was dishonored at the house of Simon the Pharisee, he got invited for dinner, he has dinner, he doesn't get honored, he doesn't get greeted properly, he's actually ignored, and then um, the Bible says a sinful woman enters, in other words, a prostitute, she enters, he, and she anoints Jesus. She gives him the respect and the honor that he deserves. It's really interesting because the Bible records that Jesus knew what Simon was thinking. Boy, that puts the fear of God in me. When the Bible says, in Jesus, knowing what he was thinking, he rebuked Simon. He said, Simon, this woman has actually given me honor. When I, when I entered the room, did you, did you give me a kiss? Did you greet me? Did you... Did you wash my feet? Did you anoint me? No. You actually just dishonored me. So Jesus will call out dishonor. So, 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 so just understand that distinction there. So here's, here's my thought as we go on. What if, what if agape love was my motivation for all of my relationships that I'm connected with? What if, what if for you, agape love was your motivation for your relationships at home, at work, with your friendships, I, I, I wonder what the possibilities are. Now, I'm sure that actually when we, when we look at this list, we think, wow, that is amazing. That, that is, you know, wouldn't it be great to live life that way? And, and for some of you, maybe you'd say, do you know what? Actually, yeah, I do. And I want to say to you, fantastic, keep doing that. That's great. But, but for the rest of us who are maybe struggling with some of these areas, well, I want you to be encouraged and not discouraged, Okay. Now, Paul is not suggesting that attaining agape love and working out agape love is easy. He's not suggesting that at all. Because in uh, verse 1 of the um, following chapter, so in 1 Corinthians 14, he says this. Pursue this love with eagerness, make it your goal. Well, you might say, well, okay, yeah, there's an encouragement there. But if you understand the context of the original Greek word for pursue, you'll know that what Paul is saying here is that, yeah, this is what we're going for, but it is not necessarily easily attained. Because the root word, or the Greek word, is dioko. And if you do a bit of research on it, you'll find that that is um, a word that actually comes from the hunting world. Okay, so, 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 and they would have known this 2,000 years ago. They'd have understood that actually re that relates to people who were going out hunting and searching for prey. Now, they didn't have Tesco's or Lidl's or Waitrose 2,000 years ago. They would have had markets, but actually people would have to hunt for their prey in a more primitive way than they do now. And so if you think about it, what Paul is saying here is, look, if you don't catch your prey, you're going to go hungry. In other words, if you are focused on catching your prey, the thing that you are hunting, then you've got to be very determined, very focused about what you are going for. In the same way, if we're to pursue this agape love, again, we need determination, we need focus, and we need to be absolutely committed to doing it. It's just not going to come like that. That's why he says pursue it. In fact, some translations say hotly pursue. In other words, come on, let's really um, get after this. So we've got to hotly pursue this thing, which is love. And remember, love is a choice. You kind of put it on. Yeah? You might be thinking, well, okay, I understand that that's you know, maybe not necessarily easy to attain. And maybe you're feeling a bit discouraged. But I just want to encourage you. You know, God has put his spirit in us. You know, that moment where we say yes to Jesus... His Holy Spirit is deposited in our hearts. Now, I'm going to ask you a very simple question, and it's not a trick question. Now, think of an apple seed. I have an apple seed. 
and I put it in some compost. I water it. I put it in a greenhouse. So all the conditions and the temperature is right, there's going to come a little shoot. Then after a time, that shoot will grow, and a small tree will develop, and then there'll be flowers, and then the plant will produce fruit. Now, guess what kind of fruit that's going to produce? It's going to produce an apple, yes. Someone said it wasn't a trick question. It's not an orange, it's an apple. Now, why do I say that? Well, Galatians 5, 22, 23 says this. So we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We've, we've learned about what love is. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is love and all the other eight elements there. In other words, because we've got God's Holy Spirit in us, it is, it is, it is not unattainable for us to be outworking this agape love in all those 16 characteristics that I've talked about. In fact, Romans 5, 5, if you're not convinced, goes a little bit further. It says this, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with what? His love. So the love of God lives inside of me, and it lives inside of you. And you know what? That transcends whether you've had a good week, bad week, or an indifferent week. It does. Because the, the, the love of God, if you're a believer this morning, the love of God lives in you. Now, when we're looking at these scriptures, and we're asking ourselves the question, okay, so if I look in the mirror, how, how is that reflected in me? Well, therein lies the challenge. And some, some of us may be, at the end, when we pray together, some of you may just want to just say, Lord, I just need more of your love manifested and outworked in my life. And because God's faithful, he will honor that prayer. But, it's, but, but, but this is not in a, 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 unattainable. You know, it, it's possible for us to be operating out of agape love. And again, if I haven't convinced you, look, this isn't optional. It's not optional. The night before Jesus was betrayed, he gave the disciples a whole lot of instructions. He talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in John 15. This is my commandment. It doesn't say this is my suggestion. Or this would be really good if you don't mind. No, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Love each other. I mean, that is challenging, isn't it? When we know what Jesus has done for us in terms of his self-sacrificial love, he says, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. This is where the church has the unique ability to reach out to broken humanity. Because broken humanity has known love in society's way. Temporary, completely um, with conditions, based on attraction, all of these things. But now we're talking about a higher form of love, and that's, the, that's what uh, God has deposited into us, and it's what he's wanting us to be depositing as we go around with the people that we interact with, the people that we meet. So essentially, putting on love is a daily decision. Now, I want to talk, talk a little bit about marriage. A lot of you in this room are married. And so I want to spend just a few minutes on that. And I would say if you're married, it is a daily decision. It is. And I'm not saying that, um, I'm saying that without apology. Now, at the beginning of this series, apparently in all the church locations, everyone had a little bit of fun with our wedding photos. So if you want to put up our wedding photo, here we go. Now, I didn't realize Ian and Sue were going to be back today because I was looking through these and I, I, I kind of spared you. 
because if, if I'd known you were going to be here, I'd have shown, because Ian and Sue were at our wedding, and they played a part in our wedding, um, but I didn't know they were going to be here, so they'd been spared, because I have a very good photo of them, um, but I didn't know that. So that was our wedding photo. I know I only looked about 15, um, but anyway, I can get over that. Um, so this is 25 years later, so this is on our um, anniversary, our silver anniversary. There you go. I know. What do you notice about that photo? The clothes are the same. Yes, and I've got a lot more crow's feet around my eyes. Um, yeah, we're, we're wearing the same clothes. Now, much more impressive for Anne-Marie because she's wearing the whole outfit. I'm just wearing the jacket um, and the tie um, that probably hasn't uh, survived the test of time. But anyway, it was that tie was great in 1993. Everybody was wearing them. So now, here's, here's, here's one of the things. C can you flick the other one up, please? <laughs> People used to think we were brother and sister. Hmm. They did. They've taken it down now. Um, now, one of the things that I didn't realize then, that I realized 25 years later, is that love is a choice. Okay? Because when you're first dating and when you're first married, you've got all the heart fluttery stuff going on. Right Now, obviously, when I first met Anne-Marie, I was attracted to her. And, and I'll tell you why. Not only I, I think she looked quite hot, but I loved the fact that when I, when I first met her, um, she had come all the way from New Zealand to spend a year as part of the church that we were part of then, volunteering for a year. And you know, she, she wasn't working. She wasn't earning any money. She was just doing it because she felt the call of God. And I thought that was incredible just to do that, to come to a place where she'd never been before. And so I thought that was attractive. I say I thought she was quite hot. And then I saw her worshiping one day. And she was, you know, she was praising God. She had her arms raised. And it's like, that I want, I want someone who's a, got a bit of oomph about them, a bit of grit, a bit of, you know, a bit of passion and a bit of, you know, grunt. Yeah? I don't want some wimpy woman, and she's certainly not that. So I found that really attractive. But equally, you know, within all of that, you know, you're kind of a bit, you know, you kind of, you would do anything for them. So, and so much so that, you know, you, anything that you might find a little bit quirky, and by the way, everyone is quirky to some degree or another. Some are just more quirky than others. Um, but uh, anything that's quirky, you know, you, you just forgive that. That's fine. You just don't care. Stuff that irritated you, sorry, stu stuff that doesn't irritate you at all when, you're first, when you first meet or when you're first married later down the line can become irritating. I'm just saying it can. It really can. And, and so I said to Anne-Marie yesterday as we were talking about this message, because I have to get her permission when I share things. And I normally, it's normally like, uh, you know, I often send her to the cleaners, really, with some of the stuff that I share. She said, oh, all right. I said, what is it about me? What is it about me that probably irritates you now that you could forgive years ago? What, what is it? And she had to think quite a long time, apparently. All of about 10 seconds. And she said, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. She said, when we first met, she said, I really liked your accent. I really liked your voice. She said, and we used to, because this was in the days before mobile phones, right? No FaceTime, none of that kind of stuff, right? We'd actually have phone, proper phone conversations, you know, voice conversations. And we talked for ages on the phone. And she apparently just used to love listen to my voice. And of course, I can talk. 
as you know. A lot. And I give lots of detail around things. And, I've been, and she just used to quite enjoy that. 27 years on, I'll start off a story. She knows where it's going. And she'll just like, she'll just finish it off for me. Like over dinner, I'll start and she'll just, she's just annoying, Stuart. It's annoying. I've heard it all before, you know. <laughs> Done. Do you want to hear, do you want to hear one that, about her that annoys me, irritates me? You do, don't you? Well, you're going to hear it anyway, whether you like it or not, just to even it, just to even it up a little bit. Just, has anyone got a pen? Oh, yeah, I can see one there. So when we first got married, um, I, I noticed that Anne-Marie did a, a funny thing. Uh, you know, she, she, she's a creature of absolute routine, which I think is good. You know where you stand with that. And, and so she'd, she'd have a little procedure for, you know, the, the, the putting herself to bed procedure. And the last thing she'd do, you know, she'd clean her teeth. You know, clean, she'd very, you'd clean her teeth very vigorously and for a long time. And then at the end, she'd do this with her toothbrush. Tap her toothbrush. And I used to think that was quite quirky, you know. And, and the first time I heard it, you know, and I knew that in a few seconds' time she'd be coming to bed and that was that. And, 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 and I, I realized this was obviously a thing that she did because this went on and like year after year. And, and it's a very, like, it, 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 there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, is there? But it just got, I, I, it just got irritating to me. And, and I, one day, you know, she did this. What are you, why do you, why do, you do that? What, what is the point? It's really annoying. Just wish you wouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> now, I, I, I shared this a couple of weeks ago when I first preached the message, and I, she wasn't there when I preached this message, but as all good wives do, she listened to me online. Later on, she recorded it, and I hadn't told her that I'd given this little thing. She said to me, you've forgotten something. I said, what was that? She said, well, after you told me that that was annoying, she said, you know what I did? I used to tap my, this is so cute, so I used to tap my toothbrush on my hand so that it didn't annoy you anymore. I didn't know she did that. And do you know what? Now she's got an electric toothbrush. <laughs> Love is a choice. Amen. Indeed. <laughs> Um, maybe, who's playing, are you playing keys? Um, let, let, me, let me just be a little bit more serious. I mean, that, actually, those things can be annoying. Clearly, they are annoying, as I've just shared. Um, but here's the thing, in, in, in relationship, relationships, and particularly marriage relationships, you know, you, you, you go through that phase of nothing phases you, nothing bothers you, everything is just wonderful and fluffy and gorgeous. And, and, and then what life does it just has a way of presenting situations where sometimes there's just things that happen out of the blue. Life just comes and it presents challenges. And, and uh, again, many of you will know this, so I won't spend long um, sharing this, but you know, we had a, a, a season in our um, marriage um, when Anne-Marie was pregnant with Harrison and for a few years afterwards, so probably a period of about four years in total, where she really struggled with um, pre- and postnatal depression. And no one, you, you, don't, you, you don't expect that to happen, you don't plan for it, it's just something that it crops up, doesn't it? It's, if you like, it's the stuff of life. The things that come which you hope aren't going to come. And, you know, they, these are things that need overcoming. Now, here's, here's something that 
um, is important for us to understand is that I believe in Christ we are made to be overcomers. Yeah, We're not defeated. We can actually come from a position of strength. However, that does not negate the difficulty that we may be going through. And so I, had nev- I, I don't think I'd ever met anyone with depression before. And I don't see it, say that in a glib way, but you know, 25 years ago, depression wasn't really talked about. Or if it was, it was sort of shunted away. You were just a bit weird if you had depression or whatever. You know, society didn't really know how to deal with it. I have to say the church didn't really know how to deal with it. And so it was very difficult. It was really hard for Anne-Marie, equally difficult for me because I didn't know quite how to encourage her. I tried everything, praying out of her, putting my arm around her, just kind of, you know, exiting the room if I felt that she was in not a good space. And, um, and, and so I didn't really know how to deal with it, I have to say. And so, but I came to a point when I just made a decision that I'm going to put on love. And now I might not have actually used that terminology because I'm going back to the scripture that we talked about. But I just made a decision, I'm going to put on love. And instead of getting making it all about me and how bad it is for me, I'm going to start praying for her and believing for her that something's going to shift. And what was important, we had some friends around us who were believing that we would see breakthrough. And, you know, I guess what I'd love to say is, you know, I made that decision on the Monday and on the Tuesday, bang. No, it wasn't like that at all. It was just a process. But over time, it was like the weight began to lift. The weight began to lift. And so, you know, and and the thing with depression is that there are times with depression that if you battle with it, even if you would generally say, look, I've overcome that, there are times that it can actually come back and bite you. And actually, you need to be, if you do, or if you have suffered with this in the past, yes, yeah, we walk in victory, we believe that, but actually, there are times we have to be aware that um, you can, it can be triggered. And, and I know for Anne-Marie, significant change can actually have an effect on her. So when we moved, ha- every time we've moved house, she's gone through a period of time where it's been a struggle. So we moved house in December, and uh, it's actually not been as bad this time. But there have been some days, you know, where she struggled. And so I have a choice. I can say, can you please just get over it? And if I'm honest, there are times where I've thought that. But my choice is no. I'm going to put on love. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe that actually this is partial. It's temporary. That's going to, that's going to go. And you're going to be all right. And we're going to be okay. That's what putting on love is. What's putting on love is. And I want to encourage that. All of us this morning, whatever your context, whether you're married, single, whatever your relationship status is, whatever, your, whatever family looks like for you, whatever work looks like for you, whatever study looks like for you, come on, let's put on love. And let's show the world what it is to have the love of God living in us and through us. Why don't we stand this morning as we just bring this to a close. Let me give you a couple of little quotes, which I think are good. Attraction is a feeling, but love is a choice. Yeah? Attraction is a feeling, but love is a choice. Um, I love this. The essence of love begins when infatuation ends. I don't know who said that, but I think it's a good quote. The essence of love begins when infatuation ends. 
we, I'm going I'm to pray for you and then we'll finish. But, um, you know, this morning, as, as we look at those 16 characteristics of this agape love, um, you know, I, I just want us to, right now in the presence of God, just be honest with ourselves and just look at those things. You know, love is patient and kind. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It always hopes, it always perseveres, it protects, it trusts, it doesn't give up, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking or easily angered. Lord, we want to thank you this morning that that is the nature and the character of you. Lord, we thank you for that scripture that simply says God is love. And Lord, right now, we, we thank you for the incredible love that you have demonstrated to us. We thank you for Christ on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that in this place right now, we can sense, we can sense your love. Just all around. And just in this moment, I just want us to stand in the presence of God. And I want us just to, again, just allow ourselves to be really just touched by his amazing love. Thank you, Lord. Just allow the Holy Spirit to, just to minister, just to be touching your heart right now. He's just wanting to fill you afresh. Thank you, 